Today, we're continuing our series in the book of Romans with Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 33. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, hey, uh, good morning, Redeemer City. Obviously, uh, not there. I wish I could be. Uh, But earlier this week, I was in close contact with someone who tested positive for COVID. And although I've tested negative, I just thought it was better safe than sorry to to be there with you today. So uh, with you in spirit. That being said, really, really excited about our passage. And, you know, it's interesting. You just heard it read and you might have thought, man, this is just a simple travelogue. This is kind of the sorts of things that you know you guys are talking about with your family and friends. You think about Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. You're talking to them about, hey, we wanted to see you sooner, but we're looking forward to seeing you down the road. We're going to stop here before we see you. I mean, that's pretty much what Paul is writing here. But if we take a closer look, we actually see a lot more. And I'll put it this way. Some of the most important lessons that any of us have in life are are lessons that are more caught than taught. There are things where we observe people's lives and simply by what they do and what they are and how they spend their time, we we see what matters most to them. We see what they're giving their lives to. You know, I I think for a moment of of my my dad, you know, um, he never gave me a class, a lecture on uh, how to to be a good husband or how to love and serve your wife, but I had a front row seat day after day of my dad loving and serving my mom and 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 that for me those things were being caught those were lessons i was learning and and here 
in this travelogue, we really get a snapshot into Paul's life. We get, uh, so to speak, um, the normal everyday uh, realities of what Paul is doing and what he's about. Um, we get to see what matters most to him, what drives him. And if I were to summarize it in two words in this passage, it would be these. Gospel ambition. Uh, Romans 15, 20, uh, the, the verse that was read uh, just a moment ago, Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. And this is a window into Paul's life, in his ambition to what drives him, what motivates him. And it's simply this. It's to spread this message about Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection to others. And so what might we learn from this today? And I want to suggest there's six things. I know six. That's a few more than normal. Um, we're going to see the motive for his gospel ambition, the goal, the mode, the strategy. We're going to see a generous interlude. And then lastly, we're going to see a prayerful partnership. So let me pray and we'll get right in. Uh, Father, as we approach this text today, uh, would you speak to us? Would you give us hearts that are receptive and soft? Um, the things we know, would we, in the sense, uh, be teachable and learn more and grow in and lean into them? And Lord, we just pray you would um, change us in this time that we have today. In your name, amen. Well, motive. Why do you do what you do? You know, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? All of us have motives. And Paul, in verse 16, he says this. He says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's some strange language here, isn't there? Uh, Paul talks about him self as this kind of priestly minister. He, he talks about, um, in a sense, offering the Gentiles, those he was sent to share the gospel with, as a sort of offering to God. And that's, that, that's strange language to us, but it wasn't to them. And it actually offers a lot of insight into what Paul's heart was about, why he did what he did. And, and here's what we see. You know, in the Old Testament, <clears throat> there were two kinds of sacrifices. One was a sin offering. And this was just, you know, when you sinned, uh, you brought something, an animal, and you sacrificed it in order to, um, uh, in order for forgiveness. But the second type of sacrifice was a thanks offering. And this was just simply an offering you would present to God to say, thank you. It was a life of gratitude. And here, Paul is speaking of the second offering, a thanksgiving offering. And here's what this means. Paul is saying this for him, this gospel ambition, this reality of wanting to spread this message to any and all was done out of gratitude to God. It's a way of saying thanks to God. And I don't know about you, but this puts, you know, that, that, that language of evangelism, of sharing the hope of Christ in a completely different category than I think most of us think about 
Um, do you remember the first time you heard that a tomato is considered not a vegetable, but a fruit? And you're like, wait, wait, that doesn't seem right. In fact, it still doesn't seem right. But apparently that's what it is, right? It was, you look at a tomato differently now. It's a completely different thing because of the category it's in. And Paul is doing something like that as it relates to this ambition to preach the gospel. He's putting it in a different category. I'll say it this way. Most often, when Christians think of mission or evangelism, they think of it in the category of a command. And their response being one of obedience. After all, Jesus said things like, go and make disciples. So if you're a Christian, you better get in a sense, busy and obey it. And it's, here's the deal, it's not that there's not a case for it. Um, it's there, but rather what we see here, for Paul, it's in a different category. It's a joyful response to the very gospel itself. There's this guy named Leslie Newbegin. He's a British missionary to India. And he was talking about the difference between evangelism or mission as a sort of, um, as obedience versus a joyful response. And he said this, uh, it tends to make mission a burden rather than a joy. And he just writes, if one looks at the New Testament, one gets another oppression. Mission begins with a kind of, and check this, explosion of joy. So here's, here's the big idea. Paul is saying this, you know why I want to share the gospel? It's not because I have to, but it's because I have to. And there's a difference, isn't there? It's not because he has to, but because he has to. And here's what this means for a Christian. It, if you really grasp the gospel, that there is nothing you can do to earn God's love, that you're completely accepted because of what Jesus has done, then mission is not some guilt-driven endeavor to sort of please God, as if I know I should, but it's a joyful response to what he's done. And here's what's interesting. If you're, if you're not compelled to share, if there's no inkling, no desire, then though you may be able to slice and dice the tenets of the gospel with theological precision with your mind, Something might be off. It may have missed your heart. In other words, what's really amazing about this is Paul is saying the very gospel itself, this gospel of grace, is actually the motivator for sharing it. How about you, Christian? Do you see this ambition, this, this, this dynamic of sharing this news about Jesus? Do you view it as something you have to do? Or is it something you have to do? Because it's a joyful response to what God has done for you. Paul is saying, for him, it's the latter. But secondly, we see Paul share the goal of his pursuit of this gospel ambition. This is verse 18. Paul says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to, and here's the word, obedience. You know, it's interesting this theme of obedience uh, actually permeates this letter. It, it, Paul writes and uses language in the prologue in the first chapter, uh, actually the first few verses. He actually will close out the book. We'll be there in a couple weeks. 
in the final doxology, he uses this word obedience. And here, Paul uses it to speak about his goal for this mission. And what's interesting about this is when you hear that term obedience, oftentimes, you know, you hear it and you think, man, it just sounds constraining. It sounds like Paul or someone else is trying to create a bunch of religious people who follow a bunch of rules. But Paul's after something else. He, he's saying this, his drive to share this gospel is not merely for people to trust Christ. It's so that this gospel might have a holistic, deep heart and life transformation resulting in obedience to God. Um, you know, no one ever says to a fish that leaps out of the water and is flapping on dry ground that they're free, right? When you see a fish out of water, you know what it was made for. You know what it was created for. When Paul speaks of obedience, he's saying this, there is a way back into the water of who you actually were created to be. And that actually, that true freedom, that true nature of who you are, is actually to love and serve God with all of who you are. Deep down in your heart, in the midst of your anxieties, your suffering, your pain, your joys, all of it to serve Him. And what's interesting about the Gospel is, so oftentimes we think, oh yeah, that's what I need to obey to get in with God, but actually it's the complete opposite. It means the way back to God is, in the Gospel, is not through performing or obeying, but it's actually what God has done for you in Christ through his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. And then there you go, here it is, the response to it. Not to earn it, but the response to receiving it is now offering your life in service to God, in obedience. That's why we you know, gather here on Sunday, it's, it's to grow in that. It's why we gather in city group life, it's to work that out in community. What does it look like? Where is God at work even now in your life? growing you in this really this this path to freedom the way of the water the way you were made to be so paul's goal it's it's obedience it's the life transforming work of the gospel it goes deep down into a person's life and works itself out in every aspect of life but thirdly paul shows us the mode of mission i'll read verse 18 we'll go to 19 again um Paul says this, But on that venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. You know, Paul uses this language. He says, what, what Christ has accomplished through me. And what Paul is saying about himself is he's saying he's simply an instrument being used by God. The power is not in Paul. The power's in the person of Christ. And this is a little bit, I think, I think oftentimes Christians, uh, I know I do, uh, we think about this differently. Um, we think things like, you know, Paul, of course God used Paul. He was gifted. He was brilliant. Um, and therefore, most of us, you know, <laughs> we kind of go, well, that kind of counts me out. I'm just pretty uh, ordinary. We often think God uses just only important people. 
but we miss something, don't we? Paul just said he was an instrument. The power's in Christ, not him. You know, so for example, you might say, hey, I'm a 20-something who just got their first job out of college working at a tech company. What do I know? Um, or you might be a young mom who's just trying to figure out life, uh, how to manage life when a little one doesn't nap. You might be a teenager who, right in the midst of those years, you're just insecure about who you are, around a whole lot of other people who are insecure about who they are. Or you might be older, you might be retired, and you might say, you know, my, my best years are really behind me. I mean, how could God use me here? But, but remember something. Um, think about who Paul was. Remember how, who Paul was? He used to be Saul. He was the one who was the one actually trying to stop getting the, the he was trying to stop Christians from, from getting this message out. In other words, God came into his life with this, this dynamic of this gospel of grace, and it changed him from the inside out in such a way that actually he was an, an amazing instrument just because of the very nature of his unlikely nature to be that one to actually be saying out the gospel. And here's the, the, the remarkable thing is, although our story or your story might be different, in the gospel narrative, that could be said of every one of us. Who are we to be the one sharing this message? You know, Paul Tripp, he's so helpful. He, he's looking at the grand scope of scripture and he says this, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the lives of others. Uh, in other words, so, so the 20-something, the young mom, the teenager, the retired person, guess what? That's exactly the kind of instruments God uses. Ordinary people, that's the mode. People who, when God does something in and through their life, they can gladly say, that wasn't me. That was what Christ did through me. And Paul actually shows, you know, how this happens. Um, he, he says this, by, by what I have said and done. That's the kind of means of how his life has been used by God. The things he said and the things he's done. And one of the things that Paul shows about this gospel ambition is that it's, it's holistic. It's both declaration, sharing the message about Jesus, but it's also demonstration. Um, Keller puts it this way, it's, it's actually inviting people, it's in a sense daring people to look into each one of us deeply and to see what a human life rearranged by the gospel looks like. So think about this, the 20-something Christian working at a pressure-filled job at a tank company, it means learning to build your identity on Christ in the midst of a stressful work environment. It means learning to stay afloat and trust him in the midst of an environment that is saying, are you going to sink or are you going to swim? And it's doing that around others who don't yet have that hope in Christ. And letting them peek into your anxieties and your fears and your failures and seeing how you rest in a different spot. And not your performance, but in another's performance. Think about it. it means for perhaps like a young mom, it means who's who's trying to just manage the chaos of life, nap schedules, other daily chores. It means that simple invitation for another person, maybe another young mom, into their home for a cup of coffee, in which they kind of get a glimpse of the chaos of life. And 
Yet as you do so, you're displaying the hospitality of God who welcomes you in in the chaos of your life. And or, or think about this for, for a teenager, you know, in the midst of the insecurity of who you are, right? You, you look around and you're just trying to figure it out. What do you do? You, you rest in your security in Christ, that you're his, that he loves you. And therefore, here's one of the things that'll change. It'll change how you talk. It'll change how you speak. You know, so often those those middle school, teenage years, those are years in which, right, it's just words that put down or words that um, are comparative. And and I, I guess I should say that it doesn't really change when you get older, but I'll say this, it really comes out there. And it means in those, amidst those moments, your words are different. Um, you speak words that build others up that builds your friends up, that, that looks to the margins, those who don't feel accepted, and you reach out to them. Why? Because, again, this gospel is rearranging your own heart where you find your identity. And think about for the older Christian here. Um, it's displaying the hope you have in trusting God in the season of life you're in, oftentimes, which is mixed with various challenges, oftentimes health challenges. It's just trusting God in the midst of those circumstances and doing it amongst the people who are going through the same things but don't yet have that hope. So here it is, gospel ambition, Paul is saying. You know, it, you know, for Paul, it means traveling, publicly declaring the gospel. But what Paul's saying here, this is for everybody. It's an ordinary person living their life in community with others right where they are, co-workers, family, friends, and right there in the midst of your fears, anxieties, and suffering, and joys, it's displaying in that present moment how the gospel is rearranging your life. And as you do, you get moments to speak about the hope you have in Jesus. So how about, how about you? How is the gospel presently changing your life? You get around some others, and as doors open up, share that with those around you. That's the secret, that's the mode. All right, strategy, strategy for mission. Um, Paul was strategic. He, Paul is not willy-nilly. He didn't just you know sit around and um, say, well, ah, we'll just figure it out. But like he thought about what he was gonna give his life to and how he was gonna order it. And look at verses 19 and 20 again. He says this, by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, oh gosh, I can't even say that, <laughs> uh, to that one city, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I knew I was going to do that. I knew it. Um, but we're not going to re-record re this. We're just going to move forward, all right? And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. A couple things. Um, Paul had this ambition to preach the gospel where it had not been. And notice Paul says his particular calling is in doing that, he has a focus. In our, in our day, that, that means there's approximately 6,800 people groups, those who share a common identity and characteristic, who do not have access to the gospel. Paul says in his day, that's what he's, his unique assignment is after. 
And so one of the ways we do this at Redeemer City is we have global partners. And you'll hear more next week as we do an update on one of them. But we strategically think through our global partners and who we partner with. And one of them is directly connected, helping train global workers to reach those unreached people groups. That's how we think strategically here at Redeemer City. But the second notice uh, is, is interesting. Um, to put it simply, Paul is about church planning. Um, when Paul lists the regions that he's been in, he says this, that he has fully proclaimed the gospel. Well, that's a stunning statement. But John Stott's helpful here. He says this, he says, this does not, of course, mean that Paul had literally saturated the whole area with the gospel, as we might say today. His strategy was to evangelize the populace in influential cities and plant churches there, and then lead to others the radiation of the gospel into the surrounding villages. In other words, Paul gave his life to church planting. So Redeemer City, we aspire to be a church planting church. We believe that the most effective way for a city to be transformed by the gospel is through new churches being planted. You know, Madison is roughly a, a place of four to six percent of the general population goes to a gospel-centered church. So there's a lot of work to be done. And this is why, for example, we set apart 10% of our budget for church planning. It's why one of our goals in the next 18 to 24 months is to identify a church planning apprentice so, we, so that we might welcome him in here, have him be amongst us, and then train up some others around, maybe some of you, and then be sent out to a different part of the city. Um, Paul was strategic in how he lived his life. And that's why corporately here at Redeemer City, we think about these things and we we align our lives with this gospel ambition, hopefully with wisdom and dependence on God, uh, to do that through our lives. All right, let's keep moving. Generous interlude to this gospel ambition. Um, the next section, and it's a longer one, um, uh, Paul says, I'm heading your direction. Before I go, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring an offering. And this is a fascinating section. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but in essence, what's remarkable is this, is that uh, Gentile churches who had never met these Jewish Christians were giving their own money to help the Jewish Christians. It was across different cultures, different ethnicities. It's this remarkable way of saying, of, of sharing their wealth with someone they haven't met, yet they know God loves. You know, verse 27, Paul says, for they were pleased to do it, talking about these um, Gentile churches, and indeed, they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Paul is simply saying, you know, the hope of the gospel came through the Jews, through a Jewish Messiah. They have received monumental spiritual blessing, forgiveness, adoption, a welcome into the family of God through this. Therefore, you know, the least they can do is share some of their wealth, share some of their possessions. And Paul says they were generously willing to do it. And this is what it means for us as a Christian today. Is the gospel of grace ought to make us a generous people. You know, one of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he collected from, uh, the church at Corinth, he writes this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Paul puts the gospel in monetary terms. He means if we really experience this grace, it will be lived through generous giving.
Let me ask you, how about you? How is the gospel at work, I'll say it, in your Venmo account or your checkbook? How are you sending out your financial resources towards the things that God loves? The gospel's at work, Paul's saying, this is what happens in a person's heart. All right, last thing. We see prayerful partnership. In verses 30 through 33, Paul simply asked them for prayer. And in verse 30, he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. This language of strive means to struggle alongside someone. And it's simply this dynamic where Paul is saying part of this gospel ambition isn't just an individual thing. It's a, it's a community-wide project. Let me ask this. How about in your city groups this week? What might it look like for you to structure your time together in prayerful dependence for the ways that you're seeking to live on mission and be faithful? That's this interdependence that Paul is asking for. Paul, like arguably the most effective uh, church planner, missiologist around, and he's asking for prayer. How much more do we need it, right? Well, there you go. Simple travelogue, Redeemer City. But so much there, right? We see the mode. We see the motive. We see the goal. We see all these things. A life-shaped by a gospel ambition. How about us, Redeemer City? How are our lives being shaped by that? A few weeks ago, I was listening to um, one of my good friends at seminary. He was doing a, a message on his own church uh, on this theme of gospel ambition, different text. But he shared a story at the end, and it just is so helpful. Um, i close here with this. Um, he shared the story of Karl Barth. I, I don't know... Um, Probably a lot of you aren't familiar with him, but he's this towering intellectual figure. You know, and he's one of those guys, like, his writings are going to be read for centuries. I mean, it's just, he's brilliant. But what is really illuminating is that above his desk, he chose one painting. And it was Grunewald's crucifixion scene. You can Google online, check it out. But it's basically a scene where on the left are significant women in Jesus' life who are crying and mourning. And on the right is John the Baptist. And one of the things that's really remarkable about the painting is, is um, John the Baptist is pointing at Jesus on the cross. And his finger is exaggerated. I mean, it's like, it's like that, you know? I mean, it's just huge. And the reason Bart loved that painting is because that extra exaggerated finger reminded him every day that his entire work, his entire life is this. It's of simply pointing others to Jesus. That's what we see in Paul's life. How about us? Father, we um, thank you for this travelogue, and we would pray that you would transform us more and more to have that ambition, Lord.
but we pray that you'd have uh, your way with us, that our hearts would be gripped by what grips you, that our hearts, that our eyes would see this city the way you see it, that you'd help us to walk with maybe some fear um, of sharing this gospel, but yet give us strength to do it. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, for his glory. Amen.